you don't have to call me Johnson. You can call me Ray, or you can call me Jay, or you can call me Johnny, or you can call me Sonny, or you can call me Ray J, or you can call me RJ, but you doesn't have to call me Johnson. Remember that? It was a comedy routine. I barely remember it. I think from the late 70s, maybe early 80s, kept going. It was always the punchline. They'd call him something, and that's what he would say. His name was Raymond J. Johnson, Jr. Names are strange. Names are strange. Everybody has one, and it's usually given to us by our parents. And whereas your proper name might be Bill or John or Sue, sometimes there's a nickname. There's another name that people might call you. It might describe some visible attribute or description of who you are, maybe what you did at one point. They might call you clumsy. right? My, I know mine because of my last name, Klotz. You can guess what it was. One of them was Blood. Think about it. One of those nicknames was Blood, which I didn't get till college. And I was wondering, first when I heard it, I thought, why are you calling me Blood? My sister's nickname in her sorority was anticoagulant. It was a nursing sorority, I suppose, based on the last name as well. Or maybe a term of endearment. Now, some of these terms of endearment are cultural. In Guatemala, a term of endearment to say to your wife is gorda. Gorda means big. Okay? Commonly, it's referred to in English and translated as fat, but it really just means big. But it's a term of endearment. And it can be used to women to men as well. Come on, gordo, let's go. You know, in our culture, you would you wouldn't be caught, well, you probably would be caught dead saying that to your, to your wife, particularly, or to your husband, okay? So sometimes, though, the names are in a description. I remember, um, as far as names have nothing to do with anybody, remember a Bill Cosby routine where he and his brother, and I can't remember what his brother's name was. Remember, anybody remember what his brother's name was? He refers to him in some of his routines. They never really knew their real name because their dad would always call him something else. And they'd be playing outside and doing something that they weren't supposed to. And one day, his dad came out and he said, God damn it, Bill, get in here. And Bill kept playing. Yeah, God damn it, get in here. And he looked up and he goes, Dad, my name's Jesus Christ. Because <laughs> that's how he used to talk. Jesus Christ, get over here. So Bill didn't know his real name until later in life, and he was always referred to by his dad, Jesus Christ, and his son was Goddammit. So the routine goes. But a name serves a special purpose as well. Can you think of not having a name? If something does not have a name, usually you could have a name you call on something to get their attention. Hey, Becky. Hey, Sally. You want their attention, it's sort of their handle. That's the way you call out to them. A nickname the same way. 
the nickname the same way. Now, we really don't use the nicknames here so much. In Latin America, nicknames are used that we probably wouldn't use here, but they're not offensive. Lots of people's names are descriptive, like gordo or skinny or clumsy, but they're not, but they're not pejorative. They're not done in a bad way. And in the Bible, people were named by what either the parents first saw or by what happened surrounding the event of the birth. So the name was a focus of meaning that had something special to do with that child. Now, Greg means gregarious. I don't know if you know the, the root of any of your name, but I doubt my parents had gregarious in mind when they were looking at me. But names have that. But names are also a sign of authority. I name my child. I have authority over my child. I have the right to give a name to my child. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you remember, were told by God to name the animals and have dominion over them. That was naming. In a name, someone gives you a name, they have dominion or power or authority. So there is power in a name. And we hear that in the book of Acts today when when they're brought before the judges and the, the Hebrew magistrates, and he says, by what power and authority did you heal this man? And they say, by the name of Jesus. So a name is just not a name. But names are all important as part of culture. And that brings us to what our devotion is today as we're following through the catechism, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Well, just by way of reminder, as we're going through this season, we're looking at three aspects of different parts of the catechism. We're looking at meditating on them in three ways. One, as God originally intended when he gave the commandment. Two, how we messed it up, or how it was messed up in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. That's the law. The law directs a command at us. We feel guilty about it. Somehow we have not lived up to it. And three, what are God's promises in that commandment? So we look at these three now. Well, like last week when we said you will have no other gods before me, the command kind of gets at the root of what was going on. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In other words, they didn't know the name of the Lord. But God's original intent was in the Garden of Eden at the time that he created humanity and everything around that Everyone would live in harmony with each other and with nature around them. They wouldn't need to know God's name because they would experience God directly. They would know him by his power in creation, by his love in providing them everything that they needed. They would know him and experience him as all-knowing because he was their father. 
They would experience him as all living because there was no life and death. There was only life. So they didn't need to be told in that pristine stage who's God, who God's name was. And God's name was what he did. They knew him by what he did. But then, as you know, and as we learn in Sunday school and everything, sin entered, and we say sin, what we met and we defined last week is that Adam and Eve decided, hey, I want some independence. I want to break free of this. And that was the whole idea of the fall. I don't want to be dependent on God. So they're dependent on who now? On themselves. They are self-sufficient, let's say. They're independent. They rejected knowing him, and their punishment was outside the garden, and you can't come back in. You're out in the world, and you cannot enjoy that privileged status when I created you to come in and have everlasting fellowship with me because you wanted to be like me and chose that. So not only did they not know God, they didn't know his name. How do you call on him? And as we see in Sinai in the movie, The Ten Commandments, who hasn't seen this? Anybody, everybody seen the big Ten Commandments movie? When Moses is up on the mountaintop, everybody else is doing what? Making idols like they knew back in Egypt. right? And they're calling on the names of those idols. They're worshiping the creation. While they were given the authority before to name the animals around them and exercise authority, they now named their own God. That's who we will serve. That's who we will depend on because they were blinded to the real creator. As history departed from Adam and Eve, man and woman were made in the image of Adam and Eve. And so mankind seeks God in other places, not knowing where to find him. Not knowing where the creator is and not knowing how to call on the creator. We have in us a DNA, as we talked last week, a DNA which says and makes us feel and makes us know that something is out there. It's not an intellectual thing. It's something to which our belly button attests because it's a sign that we come from somewhere else and that we are not life in and of ourselves. And our conscience is, remember, who's watching me? I'm doing something I'm not supposed to do. And even though someone's not watching me, I have a feeling that they are. Right? That's the role of the conscience. We know that there's a God. Everyone does because everyone was created to have fellowship with that God. And everyone was created to call on the name of that God. So it's not just a matter of, yeah, I decided to call on the real God. Yeah, I decided to accept him into my life. No, because since the time of the garden, we seek blindly 
to fulfill that fellowship, that peace of mind, that love, that acceptance, that meaning to our life in things that have taken the place of God. And when we do those things, we are calling upon the names of those things. Let me give you an example. Old Testament is full of them. Moses. God appears to Moses and is calling Moses to go and set his people free. Exodus 3. Burning bush. Moses asks the question, Who shall I say sends me to Egypt? Now remember, Moses was in Egypt. Raised there, knew all the gods. Israelites followed those gods and now he goes and God is calling Moses. Who shall I say sends me? Does God give him a name? No. God says, tell them the father of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are sending you. Once again, what if Pharaoh doesn't listen to me? Who shall I say sent me? Once again, tell them the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is sending you. Finally, when Moses asks, God says and gives four letters. We know it as Yahweh, right? We've heard that word before. Yahweh is not the name of God. Yahweh is a description of what he does. Yahweh means he who has caused all things to exist. It's a little bit better than name, huh? So what he's telling Moses is, do you want my name? You don't know me by my name. You know me by what I do in the life of people and right now in the life of Israel as I call you back. So Yahweh isn't a name because God's name is what he does. God's name is holy. He's holy, just not his name. God's name is righteous. God's name is love. God's name is forgiveness. God's name is salvation. And what he's telling Moses is, I will show you what my name is. And sure enough, when he leads them out of Egypt and he's on Sinai and gives them the Ten Commandments, he's what? He has now taken possession of the people of Israel. And he says, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. There is no other God but me. That's rule number one. You're going to follow me. And you're not going to call on anything else because now you know who I am. Now you know who the real God is. So call on me. Do not misuse my name. Do not exchange my name for something else. It just doesn't mean, as we saw, it was probably when we were kids, Mommy, Daddy said, damn it. <laughs> Mommy, Daddy said, that's like, that's not using the name of the Lord in vain, right? That's not misuse. A swear word is not using this. 
It's much deeper than that. When the commandment says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, the word is emptiness. You shall not empty God's name, what he does, who he is, by calling him to witness to you in a lie. I swear to God. Right? That's saying, God, be on my side and be my witness for what I'm doing. That's using his name in vain. I'm telling the truth. Swear to God. Do not call on him for anything that you do. Rather, call on him because he will give you everything that you need. So there's a big switch there. Moses wanted God's name in order to manipulate God. Because if you know the name of the power in satanic rites, if you know the name of the God... When you name the God, be it Orisha or Ganesh, then you've got that power. You've got that spirit. God didn't give him a name. You can't contain me in the name. Moses wanted it. What God does at Sinai is reverse that. He doesn't say, you call on my name to have me. I give you my name because you belong to me. I don't belong to you. You belong to me. You are now my family. You are now my chosen people. And so God reveals who he is in the salvation of Israel. And then you've got the whole Testament laid out before you, don't you? Because it's a matter of we're his people. We're going to follow other gods. We do other things. We sin. We don't live as his people. You know, it's sort of like your own children doing something, and you're in the park or someplace, and you see the children. What the heck? That ain't mine. That ain't my son. That ain't my daughter. My kids wouldn't do that. Or, where did they learn that from? Right? That's the way God is with Israel. That's the way he is with us. Israel was not supposed to do the things that they did, but yet they were his children. And he said, call on me. I am your father. And so he had to make the situation right. He had to forgive them. As he promised his fidelity to be there all the time, so his word is sure. And that's his gospel promise. Those who bear my name. Those who call on my name will not be put to shame. Call on me on the day of trial, it says in Psalm 50, and I will deliver you. Now the only difference between we who believe in God and those who don't is that we take that verse and we know it is the true God who's telling us, call on me in the day of trial and I will deliver you because we know he has delivered us through Jesus Christ. We know that he has created us. We know that he has saved us. And we believe in him. 
and we call upon his name for everything that we need in life. But people who do not know the true God of Scripture call on other things. As they go through the world seeking fulfillment in life, they'll call on other things. In other words, they'll practice other things. Maybe not calling the name of a god like Allah or Ganesh, an Indian deity. It may be through addiction. It may be anything that gives a person pleasure or release or gives a person an escape. Anything that gives meaning to a person in this world is not only their God, but also they go and commune and call upon that to release them. Had a hard day at work, and I come home and I get drunk. I'm not talking just a drink or a beer here. It helps me escape. That's an invoking, because it's relying on something else other than the true God. And that's an easy example. But pick anything in our lives. I've just got to get out of here. And you constantly do golf. I find God on the golf course on Sunday mornings. I find golf and I find God in the, in, the, in, the, in the bars on Saturday night. That's my small G God. That's where I can go to feel at peace, where I can go to find meaning in life. That's not saying those things are bad, but it becomes bad when it diverts you from calling on the name of the Lord for the real reasons and meanings in your life. So how does God take us in and call us his children? He wants us to call him his father. Jesus teaches us our father who art in heaven. And we call him Father because we know that we have been taken in as his children in baptism. In the, name of the in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's just not a name coming on us in water. It's through him that he takes possession. He's naming us as his own. You are mine. And I give to you Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Everything in my kingdom. Salvation, forgiveness, love, and my Holy Spirit to guide you through life. We as his children want to serve him. We as his children want to be with him. We as his children want to give testimony to him in a world that does not know him. So his promise is there. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, but when you call on me, I deliver. When you call on me, I'm there. And we should never have a doubt about that. In God's name, amen.